0: Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Tuesday. Welcome to World Soccer Talk Soccer Morning. We are live on the air, ready to go, streaming across your internet device, your internet connected device, whatever that might be, could be a laptop, could be a phone, could be a... what else if you're listening after the fact and it's downloaded to your thing, whatever thing you use, people use iPods anymore. Is that a thing that people use or do they just use their phones like I, I don't I use my phone for all podcasting activity. I listen to some podcasts and I use my phone and I stream them. I don't download them because I feel like that's taking up a lot of space, especially if you listen to this show. We're in your ears every every, uh, every day, every weekday. So it's a bit of a, it's a lot. It's a big commitment. We appreciate your commitment here at uh, Soccer Morning. Uh, Good show for you today. We are currently efforting some sort of guest to talk about some sort of thing that's happening in the soccer world. In the meantime, we will get to headlines here in a moment. We'll certainly open up the phone lines for you to talk about whatever you want to talk about. There's plenty of things happening, some good, some bad, some troubling, some hilarious. That's the way soccer works. First up on the news, tell me if you heard this one before. There's a match-fixing scandal in Italy. Police have arrested more than 50 people as part of an investigation into suspected match-fixing in Italian football. Those detained include players and directors from around 30 clubs from Italy's 3rd and 4th Divisions. So down there far enough where people will, really you won't, yeah, I don't care about that. It's not Serie A. It's not Serie B. Bay. Serie Bay. It's down there below the level I care about. So let's not even worry about it. Of course, with Italian football's history of match fixing, you can't. You just can't. You can't let this one slide. More than 70 people are also under investigation in the inquiry led by prosecutors in the southern town of Catanzaro police said that some of those charges had links to mafia organizations match fixing is a problem it's bad it's bad news now this this town is down down in the uh the arch the arch of the boot of it, not the arch that's not the right word i guess it's more the ball of the foot the ball of the foot in italy so again, this isn't going to hit the AC Milan's, the Juventuses of the world, and so people will probably let it slide. But it still relates to the integrity of the game. We should be looking out for that at all levels. The syndicate is a network of clans in Calabria that dominates the country's cocaine trade. Local media said that one police officer was also involved in the scandal. It's not yet clear whether Tuesday's police inquiry is linked with a previous anti-match-fixing operation because, of course, there was a previous one uh, after the other 17 previous ones. Uh, Italian football, please stop doing this thing. Rumors swirling that Raheem Sterling could be living, leaving Liverpool very shortly, although his agent has denied that it has reached that point. And some comments in regards to those reports that Raheem Sterling might leave Liverpool this summer. A.D. Ward, the agent, said he and the player were aware were always scheduled to meet Liverpool officials this week and insist they will move forward from there. The story has been blown somewhat out of proportion, he said, to, to talk sport. Raheem and his representatives have a meeting scheduled with Liverpool later this week and we will take proceedings from there. Sterling has two years left on his current deal but rejected a reported One hundred thousand pound a week offer earlier this year and negotiations were put up negotiations were put on hold into the end of the season. We're going to get into this a little bit more. We have lined up our friend Christian Hernes to talk about uh, um, English football and the state of things there. I know the man's got some thoughts on John Carver up at Newcastle, so we'll talk about that as well. But Raheem Sterling taking a beating in the press and it feels as though Liverpool fans are turning on the man if they haven't already. Bears watching what will happen with Raheem Sterling, and Dorsen Wenger is keeping tight lips about any potential chase for Raheem Sterling this summer. The USU-20s started their warm-up for the U-20 World Cup in New Zealand with a defeat of Australia 2-1. Maki Tal, Joel Sonora scored, and Gedeon Zalala made his U.S. debut. I have not seen highlights, but I'm not sure they exist anywhere. I'm not sure this game was on television, but a good sign for the USU-20s That they start off their campaign, their warm-up campaign, with a win over Australia. They fell behind 1-0, scored two goals in rapid succession in order to get themselves uh, back in that game. Stefan Mock gave the Socceroos an early lead, but strikes from Sonora and Tall were separated by mere seconds and flipped the script zell came on in the 59th minute replacing Paul Ariola. So we'll see exactly how Tab, Tab Ramos decides to use zell moving forward. Good news for the Chicago Fire. Mike McGee has returned to full training and could make his season debut this weekend. Certainly the Fire have been missing Mike McGee. Uh, the Fire have been very up and down in 2015. I think there's, there's talent there. Are they a playoff team uh, remains to be seen. But Mike McGee being back is a big sign. He was obviously the two thousand a top goal scorer in two thousand thirteen between the Galaxy and the Fire. Two thousand fourteen a down year, Uh, and uh, and subsequent injury obviously hurt his season. Now, uh, that's a big boost for Frank Gallup and company uh, coming into uh, the. Third month of the MLS season. We are in the third month, right? Uh, we're about to, be able to enter month four already? Wow. A report, uh, report says that FIFA is considering taking the World Cup playoff spot away from Comnibol in response to the incident at La Bombonera with Boca Juniors and River Plate, in which River Plate players were gassed, were maced, whatever they were, sent some players to the hospital, an extremely sad A sad incident in one of the world's best tournaments, Boca Juniors has subsequently been kicked out of the tournament, fined a certain amount of money, which I'll pull up here in a second if I can find it. And uh, it's said that they will play a couple of games at least behind closed doors. But FIFA has deemed that this is not strong enough. And that Commonwealth could be stripped of a World Cup. Now, I don't understand how this logic follows. And certainly, FIFA has had a double standard when it comes to punishing teams, clubs, and associations for these tor- sort of incidents. Now, I don't know there's a precedent for players being gassed necessarily. But certainly, you've had violence and fan violence in places in Europe. And yet, here we are talking about taking away the playoff place for Commonwealth. Now, Commonwealth gets... Four automatic qualifiers, and then the fifth spot is a playoff spot. We've seen uh, Con- a CONCACAF teams forced to play combo bowl teams and come out on the losing end. So it, I conceivably, this could benefit CONCACAF, although I'm not sure that's the way you want. Ill-gotten gains. Yesterday, the Premier League, West Brom beat Chelsea 3-0. Cesc Fabregas sent off, and Chelsea falls. Jose Mourinho blaming... Everybody but his own team for this loss. Football is to be played at a maximum intensity, and in our situation, it's not easy to do that. It's not a big surprise. It happens when a team is champion when, with matches in hand. Bayern Munich lost the last three matches in the league, and when you're champion so early, it's difficult to keep the motivation high. When you lose that salt and pepper of the competition, it's difficult to compete at the highest level. If I have to blame anybody, blame Manchester United, Man City, Arsenal, and Liverpool for letting us win the title so early. There you go. Thanks, Jose. Let's take a break. When we come back, Christian Hines will join us. We'll talk about Jose, the Premier League, Newcastle, Arsenal, Manchester United. Don't go anywhere. Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. You're, You're
1: talking too
0: loud. We're just about three weeks away from the Women's World Cup Tournament that kicks off on June 6th, and World Cup fever is starting to build. To stay on top of all action and to support your national team, be sure to download the new app entitled Women's World Cup Challenge. With the free app, you can get a schedule of the entire tournament, play a fantasy game to guess which teams will advance from group stages and then which teams move through the knockout rounds, create and join groups to compete against your friends for pride and prizes, Watch the Match Center to follow all of the games live while you're at work and read the latest news about all the teams. Developed by an Austin startup who are massive soccer fans, the app is available as a free download for Apple and Android devices in the app and play stores. Follow the Women's World Cup this summer and support the stars of the women's game by downloading Women's World Cup Challenge today. I'm Jason Davis, and I want to invite Soccer Morning listeners to join me this Friday for Columbus against Chicago. During the game, I'm going to be sharing my thoughts and opinions about the MLS action at Rabble.tv. It's a brand new television experience that gives fans the ability to talk and banter about the beautiful game. You'll get a chance to hear my opinions about Crew SC and the Fire, as well as post questions to me via the live conversations thread. If you have an iPhone, that's great. You can use the Rabble app to hear me. Or you can go directly to the website at Ravel.tv. So come on, Soccer Morning listeners. Mark your calendars for this Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern. And let's hang out together at Rabble.tv to talk Crew SC, Fire, and MLS. I look forward to seeing you there at Rabble.tv.
1: Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis.
0: Joining us now on the telephone, Christian Hanege, soccer writer extraordinaire. Covers a lot of different things. We're going to talk some Premier League with him. We may range a bit into perhaps the Women's World Cup and perhaps the U-20 World Cup coming up in New Zealand. I mentioned that result for the U.S. last night. I believe Christian has spoken recently to a, U- a U-20 international for the United States. That should be good. Christian, how are you?
2: I'm not too bad, thanks,
0: Jason. How are you? Uh, I'm very well. Uh, I'm going to start with the Premier League, and, and uh, let's go to yesterday's results. West Brom 3, Chelsea nothing. Means uh, zero for Chelsea. They, uh, they've they already locked up the title. They've celebrated. It was a good time. And, and this game, as Jose Mourinho said, it's tough to keep up your intensity when you've already won the title. So he subsequently blamed City, United, and Arsenal for allowing that to happen Ses uh, Fabregas sent off in that game. What do we take away from that? Uh, obviously, you know, solid for West Brom.
2: Well, I think you can see why Jose Mourinho said he'd install Tony Pulis if he was owning a football club. What, what, what a manager he is! Um, I think what we can read from this is that, as he as he kind of said himself last night, that they'd won it so early, there there was no need for them to to really perform last night. It was a very bizarre situation with Cesáreo Fabregas. I'm still not too sure what he was trying to achieve with that. But equally, you look at some of the players that were on the pitch there. You had Izzy Brown, who they they signed for in a West Brom. You had Loftus-Cheek. I think it was more an opportunity to see some of the younger players because I think that's something maybe we've we've criticised Jose Mourinho for mm-hmm. while he's been at Chelsea, is that <clears throat> he's never really put through those those younger guys. John Terry kind of stands out as a, a real lone ranger in that sense for, for them as, as coming from the academy into the first team. I think he realises now he has to do that more often and more consistently. And I think we're seeing that now towards the end of the season. The thought that Loftus-Cheek will be Considered a first-team squad member next season. The fact Brown's moving in there, hmm. there's a few good, talented players in that academy side who who now seem ready to to move up. But you're only going to work out if they are ready to move up by playing them. And I think that's ultimately what he did last night.
0: Well, it, it, that's that's an interesting question to consider for a team like Chelsea. Um, I suppose you want to give those players an opportunity to move in the first team, if nothing for for if, if for no other reason than to keep that carrot for your academy players uh and and your incoming uh your incoming youth players but if you're Chelsea why is that necessary you can just go buy whoever you want
2: well in theory you shouldn't be able to much longer because FFP is going to sure. To play a part in that and equally I think if you look at competitions like the Champions League and the Premier League you need an influx of I, th- I think it's eight homegrown players so the more you can produce internally the better it means that you don't have to go out and buy them domestically or pick them up on freeze like having the past with uh, Ross Turnbull who was a, a good example of them needing to fill a quota so they signed him on a, a free from Middlesbrough I think he barely played for them at all though but again he filled that quota so the more that you can fill those spots with genuine talents I think the more success you'll have. The guys like Andreas Christensen, the the defender. And if you look kind of, again, a little bit further back, when they've had perhaps those perceived more talented generations, the the Bruma van Arnholt kind of Sturridge, uh, Barini era, none of them progressed forward, yet all of them now have carved out good careers at other clubs. And maybe that was just a lack of exposure to the first team. So I think Chelsea have maybe realised that they need to give these these lads more opportunities and actually be a bit more patient with them. And the earlier you can introduce them, and perhaps the more uh, patient you can be with with showing them this first team, maybe in little spurts, the more chance and the more opportunity you've got that they can actually contribute on a full time basis.
0: You know, Mourinho sort of embodies the struggle within English football. I mean, he's a he's a big time international manager, comes to a club with lots of resources, puts together a team and wins a title. And meanwhile, the English football authorities have to be looking on going, you know, we're going to fall behind because our players don't get a chance at these clubs. And I know there's been uh, rule suggestions and changes uh, posed, uh, possible changes uh, posed to the the way that teams are constructed to help benefit the English player. I, I didn't really mean to take it in this direction, Christian, but I think it is interesting that Mourinho has no obligation to help the English player and English authorities have to figure out how to work with that system.
2: Exactly, and I think that's what they're trying to do now. I mean, if you look at the current squad, I think there's six English players in there, but four of them are those young players we talk about, guys like Dom Solanke, Loftus Cheek, Brown, Jamal Blackman, who really aren't playing on a consistent basis. Patrick Bamford is owned by Chelsea, but has had an amazing season in Middlesbrough. And I think the the problem is as well is that it's the hoovering up of talent. We saw, I think it was 30 players that went out on loan from Chelsea last season. That's a frightening number of players for any one club to have on their books at the time. Now, admittedly, the majority of them were not English players. A lot of them were from across Europe and and parts of Africa and South America. But the fact that they can harbour that much talent and afford to harbour that much talent is a genuine concern. I think, as you rightly say, it's, it's the point where the FA has to come in and devise genuine strategies. And I think This idea of limiting opportunities for foreigners and and putting quotas, it doesn't really work. All it does is it's it's a kind of positive discrimination, if you will, because all it does is say, okay, we acknowledge you aren't good enough, so what we'll do is we'll stack the deck in your favor. I think what you have to do is, and we've discussed this before, is actually try and raise the level of the English players in the first place. You have to start at the very bottom, at the grassroots level, analyze the way in which you're coaching these players, the way in which you're rearing them. Look at countries like Iceland, who have a, a population of about 300,000, yet have been able to rise up as a, on the international stage because they've done things like put in more pitches, Help their, uh, help their coaches raise players from a younger age. I think they started about six years old, and they're truly taught how to play football in the, in the best way for them and, yeah. and the correct way, if, if that's even the right word to use. Uh,
0: I, you know, it, it seems to me that, looking at this from an American perspective, where we struggle with these issues on a regular basis, Christian, uh, is, is that the more complicated your system or the bigger your country, or the, the more geogra- uh, geographical area you have to cover or that more history is involved, in the case of England, the, the tougher it is to figure out how to make... I mean, with with Iceland, it's pretty simple. Uh, the weather dictates that we need a, a lot of artificial uh, surfaces and, and pitches, and we need to m- more than likely have them indoors, and that gives us the opportunity to take a small population and maximize the talent that comes out of it. England's, what, 30 million people? And and, and you could argue it's been punching above their weight for a long time. Certainly there there are... Uh, people out there who make that argument, how do they continue to maxi- how do they maximize their talent if they're working within a system that is so convoluted, just based again, based on history, based on the money that's coming in?
2: I'm not sure if, if I personally subscribe to the idea that okay. it's that convoluted. I think, I think the benefit, actually, that the U.S. has over uh, England in terms of Major League Soccer is that actually Major League Soccer does give a lot of opportunities to, to U.S. players. Whether you think that's the best avenue for them to grow, I I can understand why that is the belief. But for me, it does give opportunities to guys like Graham Zussi and Matt Beasley, who, again, have grown and reached their peak because they've had the space and the freedom to grow. Irrespective of whether you think, you know, it needs to be single entity or promotion relegation, I think that's a totally different digression. But the problem, as as I say, England has now is, is the, well, is if you look at some of the, the foreign players they bring in, They obviously have to pay them more because they're moving from from different countries. Mm -hmm. Why would you give opportunities to someone you're paying a few hundred pounds a week when you instead have someone on you know ten times that you've had to bring over? You've had to move their family over, you've had to set them up in a house or or digs or anything like that. And I think you know that is certainly an issue as well. And I can see why to a degree it does breed some animosity. You touched on at the start that I spoke to, to Emerson Hyman last week, and he said when he arrived at Fulham he really did have to prove himself mm-hmm. uh, twofold over, not just because he was a foreign player, but also because he was American. And, you know, he said if it, maybe if he'd been French or Spanish, he would have commanded more respect instantly. But I think that's an issue as well, is that now it's starting to breed just a little bit of animosity towards the foreign player, when in truth the foreign player isn't the issue, it's the person buying the foreign player that's yeah. the issue in terms mm-hmm. of them giving more opportunities to domestic talent and, and allowing them the opportunity to grow, because I think that's an issue as well.
0: Uh let's uh let's turn back to the table a bit and, and talk about uh the league. Liverpool in fifth place, uh, just a point ahead of uh, of Tottenham at this point, but really the the story around Liverpool is the situation with Raheem Sterling. He's 20 years old, he's incredibly talented. He's turned down a contract offer. It seems to be a lot of back and forth uh sniping as to who has the moral high ground here, and I'm not sure either side is looking very good right now, Christian.
2: No, then no. And you know, I mean John Barnes has has come out and- said, you know, what has Raheem Sterling achieved or won? And I see that argument as well. I think it's understandable that actually for someone demanding silverware, he hasn't really done enough to to earn it himself in that sense. And equally, the talk of his disappointment at press reports being leaked. He gave a 20-minute interview to the BBC without the the prior consent of Liverpool. He talked about how much he turned down. So I think, again, as you say, it's getting a little bit dirty. There's a lot of mud being flung between the two parties. And I can see why Liverpool want to keep him because again that is core to their success in terms of keeping young players and, and helping them grow and, and convincing them that it's the right place because in, in many ways it has a ripple effect if you let him go this summer because then you say to a lot of other young players, Jordan Ibe, players who you may even try and, you know, buy this summer, we're maybe not the best place for a young player to go because Raheem Sterling is no longer interested in, in being part of this, this project. And I think as well you have to consider the fact that how does this reflect on Brendan Rogers? Because now we've looked at Luis Suarez as well. He's another player. He he just couldn't convince to stay any longer. And how is he working with this big talent? We saw the, the being Liverpool documentary. They had that little spat where it did seem very authoritarian, didn't seem very uh, you know, caring in terms of the way Brendan Rogers handles players. And you wonder if that does have a ripple effect in terms of these players don't really want to fight for him when, it, when they don't win something that next season and they don't feel like they're progressing. And I think anyone who's probably watched Suarez in that Liverpool dressing room has thought, you know what, I'd quite like to do something similar. And I imagine Sterling believes he can play on that level. I'm not too sure if he can personally, uh, but I see why to a degree he wants to leave. And that's the issue now is that Liverpool's owners have to look and say, OK, is this just a case of we're not winning? Or is it also the fact that our manager isn't able to convince talent that they need to spend their futures here; that they need to go somewhere else.
0: Uh, it's uh, it, it, we'll see what the, the situation comes to, and and obviously, uh, you know, again, the, the rumors are swirling. He, he wants to leave. He's uh, he's. I, I'm not sure where things stand right now, Christian. And again, I mean, we'll ultimately see a, a resolution sometime in the near future. Uh, but if if Liverpool can't keep Raheem Sterling, I mean, you spoke to some of the the knock on effects there. But does that speak ill of? the 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 current management of of Liverpool football club or the the people in charge or do you do you sort of put it on Brendan Rodgers and his his relationship directly
2: it's not a glowing recommendation for either i think um, the the difficulty is, is that actually there's been a lot of contrasting stories in terms of what the stumbling block is for sterling at one point it, it was reportedly money which again a 20 year old i can see why he's pushing as hard as he wants for his money because you know, as Alexi Lalas always says, you know, negotiate your worth. And I completely agree with that. The problem is, is that if he, if he is now saying actually, it's a case of silverware, it's a case of this, his next move, in theory, is going to validate that claim or not. Because if it is someone like Manchester City or a really big club, then you think, okay, fair enough that he wants that. But if it's someone around that same level, maybe he looks to go abroad, which is a rarely trodden path for, for English players, and you think uh, maybe it was a case of more more about being money than anything. I think, as you say though, it it, it just doesn't reflect well on them because again, they should be building that team almost around doing. He should be along with Ibe, along with Henderson and Coutinho, the core players of that next generation. Gerard said it himself on Saturday. They've got a good core at Liverpool at the minute, and it needs supplementing. It needs those true big game players, the likes of Suarez, that caliber of player who really does. Just bring it all together and raise everyone's level to a consistency and I think yeah it it just doesn't reflect well on any of them because what what's now being said is that actually it isn't about money it's it's about yeah. trophies, and he's not convinced he can win them at Liverpool
0: well if it is about if it is about money, we get to that issue of the known versus the unknown when it comes to what players are worth i mean it's it's very difficult because he's twenty years old, which means. He's at, he has so much of his future ahead of him. And while he is an incredibly talented player, you just don't know how that's going to play out. So the club may say, okay, well, we can't pay you for something you haven't achieved yet, as John Barnes points out. But then you, you don't, you know, we also see on the other end of the spectrum and there are player, plenty of players in their prime who get paid what they're worth. But then the other end of the spectrum, players who are 28, 29, heading into their, their thirties where we know things slow down a bit who are getting way too much money simply because they had private, private success.
2: Of course, and I think what you have to remember is for certain it's in theory his best years are ahead of him. Um, and, and that's something to, to note, is that again, you're again disrupting the momentum that you're building. Admittedly, it hasn't been a great season for Liverpool. I think in terms of European competition, again, they faltered. That may be another factor behind Raheem's decision now to want to leave. But at times, again, you saw just that little flicker of something, just that little spark of actually the likes of Coutinho can decide a match, like he did against Manchester City at Anfield. Sterling, on occasion, can decide a match. I think there's a little bit of a misleading factor to all this in terms of people quoting stats like John Walters has more goals and Alan Hutton's produced more crosses. I think that's a little bit reductionist to say that. I think what we can agree unanimously is Raheem Sterling is a very talented young player, and that needs to to be addressed, at Liverpool at least, because it seems like they're undervaluing him. And that's the problem I think Liverpool have is that for the last few years now, perhaps even a decade, they've underspent in terms of what they're trying to achieve. I mm. think they've almost been too stubborn in refusing to acknowledge that, you know, if you want to, if you want to achieve what the big teams achieve, you have to spend like them. Yeah. And unfortunately, they just haven't done that. <laughs> and in occasions where they've missed out on Alexis Sanchez, they've again missed out on Memphis Depay. They're losing these talents now hand over fist, and it's getting to the point where you think, well, perhaps that's influencing Sterling as well, to the point where he's thinking, actually, if Depay, if Sanchez don't want to come here, why am I staying? it? Because those are the players I I strive to be playing alongside and, and playing against for titles, and they don't think it's a, a good project either. Uh,
0: there really is no other recipe. I mean, I, I, we've seen with uh, with Southampton this season, you, you may have a good run for a couple of months, but eventually you're going to hit a wall, and it's, it's so much about money. Uh, speaking of two teams that that do have money and and have been spending money, Arsenal and Manchester United, with a one-one draw on the weekend, Christian, and that keeps Arsenal two points ahead of United. I'm going to come to a potential exit from United here in a minute, but in terms of of that match and the you know how much, I mean, obviously there, there, there's the the. Um, Group stage qualifier and then the uh, the the preliminary round qualifier to be determined here. How important is it for Manchester United to jump over Arsenal with the one game remaining?
2: I think it's it's very important. If if you look historically, the the year that Arsenal had to go through this and they played Udinese after they qualified, they faced Man United at Old Trafford and they were humbled. I think it was eight two in the end. And Wenger talked about kind of that that mental drain of starting the season so early. And I think if you look at the the Montreal impact, I think we saw a similar thing with them having to start their season early for for CONCACAF Champions League. It did kind of have a mental drain on them and a little bit of a physical drain. And it's bound to. I think the the earlier you start your season, in theory, you will hit a peak before your rivals. But it also means that you can tire quickly because you haven't had that rest period. Mm -hmm. And it could really cause problems for, for Manchester United in terms of I believe they'll have some players going away with the, the copper America, not many, but some. And that's that's going to impact the squad dynamic as well. And the fact that, again, they're having to start their season so early on top of, as you touched on there, that potential big departure of David De Gea and trying to, once again, rebuild the squad and give it that consistency and that X factor that it's, that it's missed since Alex Ferguson's departure. It's it's really uh, it could be a snowball effect for them, and I think it's something they're going to have to manage very carefully.
0: You know, look if if David de Gea moves on, especially if he moves on to, to Real Madrid, um, I'm not sure that you blame United a whole lot. Uh, but they do they will need to replace him, and he ha- he has been crucial for them. Where would they turn in that in that uh, situation?
2: Well, they could look domestically. They could pry Hugo Lloris from Tottenham. I think. Larissa is a very good goalkeeper. From from what I understand, he has a, a clause in his contract that allows him to leave for a Champions League side for I think 20 million. So it's not a terrible uh, purchase. Even Petr Cech, you could slap 15 million down to Chelsea and say, okay, we'll we'll take Petr Cech, because I think he's two years younger than Van der Sar was when he arrived, mm-hmm. and Van der Sar was was brilliant for them for about five six years. So again, there are certainly options there. I think sometimes we kid ourselves that goalkeepers are. Uh, like hen's teeth in, in, soccer. And actually, I think there are options out there for a club of Manchester United with that pulling power, with that spending power as well. I think you could, could even look right into Europe. You could look at someone like Samir Handanovic. You could look at Jan Sommer. There are a number of options there. I think what you're looking for is just the mentality of a big club goalkeeper. And by that, I mean, if you look at someone like Ben Foster, who, who many years ago went on to Watford, did, wonderful things, a great goalkeeper, then came back to Man United and it never clicked. And the difference is is that actually for a big club you're often making less saves, you're less involved in the game so you have to be more focused and you have to be ready essentially to be defined by two or three saves instead of six or eight. Mm -hmm. And so it lowers all your percentages and the standard or your opportunity to record good percentages. And I think that's what you need is that goalkeeper who has the mentality of a, a big club goalkeeper and that's what David De Gea has because again, as we saw at the weekend, he managed to, to produce that great save from Giroud um, one-on-one. And so that's what they're looking for now. They're not just looking for a good shot stopper, which sometimes I think they've been naively looking for in the past. They're looking for someone that has that total package. And players like Lloris and I think Petr Cech as well have, have proved they have that.
0: Mm. Uh, let's go down to the bottom of the table before we move on to some other subjects. Um, you've got... We've got two teams relegated. That's uh, done. Burnley, and QPR going down. Uh, meanwhile, Hull, Newcastle, Sunderland, I suppose, um, are, are still are still there. Uh, look, you know, trying to avoid that last relegation spot. I'm going to talk about Newcastle and the situation with John Carver. He just, he's such a character, and I, I don't think that he is. Uh, it, I know that you've got opinions on him, but. I, I don't know that I, I don't know if this is a man who is uh, just so desperate he's sort of flailing about or if he uh, is honestly of the opinion that he can uh that, that this isn't necessarily his fault. Where, where is the situation with Carver right now at Newcastle?
2: Uh it it's it's farce for want of a uh, better word. I think he everything he does is now being viewed and or criticized. His decision to give the players two days off at the start of the week and then him to go play golf. Again, roundly criticised. I can understand why. I think also if they were in a better position or perhaps people were more behind in they would say, you know what, that's good, take the pressure away. But again, everything is being read with a negative slant with him. And I, I do feel sorry for him to a degree because he is hopelessly out of his depth in this position. And it seems increasingly as Sunday approaches, it's going to be a case of whether Hull lose rather than can Newcastle win. Um because they they look devoid of of anything it feels as if there 's no coaching at that club. The players are trained, not coached, and by that i mean they don 't they don 't get better uh unless as individuals they are determined to do so, and those ones are ultimately sold to to bigger football clubs and I think that 's an issue as well because again he 's been a member of that coaching staff for some time now, and the concern is, is that actually if this football club does go down. It's in real trouble because last time it had the benefit of a good core of players, the likes of Kevin Nolan, Joey Barton, uh, Steve Harper, and then a few kind of foreign talents to supplement that and give it an extra boost of quality, the likes of Colaccini and Gutierrez. None of those players are there now in terms of, uh, that core of, of having English guys who would drag them up and, and, you know, be the, the front line. You've got Colaccini, I think Jonas Gutierrez will probably leave in the summer there's just not enough of a a basis there for them to even consider coming back up. And the problem is as well, I wouldn't see why Ashley would want to spend more money again to try and get them back up. I think if anything, he would happily sit them in the championship and spend even less. And that's the problem is that they're now close to becoming like Leeds, like Charlton in terms of going right down to League One and then having to fight all the way back up with no guarantee of getting anywhere near the Premier League. Mm. And the problem for Carver is now is that actually it's, this is probably going to be his legacy. A man who worked with Sir Bobby Robson, who I think was very well liked prior to this season. You know, had uh, was not just a local lad, but also seemed to get the vibe and the spirit of the club as well. And now he's he is essentially seen as the the figurehead with which everyone kind of flings their mud at, and that's unfortunate because, again, I I, I can separate the ideas of fans having animosity for his decisions, but then also treating him like a human, and I think sometimes we forget that is that actually, at the end of the day, John Carver is just a human being, and Mm -hmm. while his decisions may not be the best, I don't think they're ever made with malice, I think they're just made with a a lack of understanding or or grasp of what he's doing.
0: He's just going to end up being the man holding the bag when it all falls apart.
2: Exactly, and I think, you know, he himself said at the weekend, you know, we'll we'll have a post-mortem in the summer on this. And even that, I, I couldn't help but think, no, because in theory you won't be here. Whether they stay up or not, you won't be here because I don't think anybody wants you to be here. And and I think even that, that kind of naivety to to the situation in front of him really frustrates fans. I think looking at it from a tactical perspective, the fact he deems Medea Bede someone who is a very much a, a rising talent, is, is viewed very highly by the Algerian national team, isn't better than Ryan Taylor. Someone you're converting from fullback to mid- to central midfield is a huge frustration as well and he talks about experience and a lot of these old-fashioned metrics that actually don't really apply to football anymore. Oh, he's a, he's a good honest lad and he brings an experience. I don't see how that benefits in this situation because they're not trying to outplay, you know, an inexperienced team. They're trying to outplay very good football in Premier League teams and for me, you need the best talents to do that. The experience isn't going to do anything because Ryan Taylor can tell you where the ball's going to go, but I would trust Medea B to get there first and stop it. Mm.
0: Uh, looking at the fixture uh, list for the last, uh, the last round of games for these teams, Hull City hosting Manchester United, Newcastle hosting West Ham and Sunderland away to Chelsea. Um, you said it will it, likely come down to Hull losing rather than Newcastle winning, so you don't, you don't actually have a lot of faith uh, that Newcastle can get it done against the West Ham team with with very little to play for.
2: I, I just think it's the Sam Allardyce situation. I mean, he's a, a former manager. He f- famously bought a, a house in I think Spain and called it St James's Park with the payoff that he got from Newcastle. And from what I understand, still holds a, a fair degree of animosity to the owner of the football club and and the football club in general for the way he was sacked and how damaging it was to his perception as a manager in his career so I don't see him letting up or rolling over for them by any stretch. I mean the fact that you've got Kevin Nolan and Andy Carroll in there might change that slightly but equally Newcastle just don't know how to defend Um, you look at the weekend the the goals against QPR admittedly first was was a sensational strike but it was preventable in terms of that 50-50 on the halfway line and the the same with Matty Phillips goal and that's a concern as well is that they just can't defend the, the basics, right. The the goal against West Bromwich Albion was the simplest of set pieces um that undid them. And there's just no harmony amongst that side at all at the moment. And it shows that the second they concede, it all scatters like cockroaches under a you know, under a fridge. It's it's really concerning in that sense. And I think again, you could very realistically see an awful possibility where Hull take the lead on the hour mark Newcastle
0: behind panic really starts to set it uh, let's uh, before I have to let you go Christian let's turn to uh, that other topic you mentioned the, the U20 World Cup coming up in your chat with Emerson Hyman um beyond his uh, settling in at uh, at Fulham when he arrived from the States what did you discuss with him in terms of what we should expect out of this American team uh, down in New Zealand
2: well he was was very positive about the group as well and, and spoke you know, very well about how uh, not just Jürgen Klinsmann but also Tab Ramos has been with him in terms of reducing that pressure because ultimately like all of the guys in that squad he wants to play for the senior team and he admitted he felt immense pressure when he made his debut last year but actually it was Klinsmann who took him to the side and said you know what don't feel any pressure just relax and play your game and I think you know he said himself he, this squad is a talented one and he feels there's a lot of potential there to grow. And he's, he speaks very um, well in terms of the fact that he's coaching, not just coaching, sorry, captaining this team uh at the U20 World Cup. And that means a lot to him. And you genuinely get the feeling he's been sincere in that, in his desire to lead this team and take them forward. Because for him, he says it's a, a great experience to take in and, and something he really thinks he can learn from. And and that's the general feeling I got from Hyman is that actually he's so focused on learning, um, he does remind me of Michael Bradley in that sense. You get the feeling he's constantly wanting to develop and that the fact that he's at Fulham and the fact that he's considered a first-team player now, that has not stopped that desire at all. Um, it's it's one that will continue to to grow and, and I think really push him to the top. I think you could see him in the Premier League quite
0: comfortably. Yeah, that's uh, sort of where I was going to go. I mean, obviously Fulham in the championship, staying in the championship. Um, and, and you know, a club that, that could climb out at some point in the near future, I suppose, uh, depending on what kind of investment they get. But Hyman himself as a player, I mean, what is what are his aspirations? I'm sure he's very loyal to Fulham. I have no doubt about that. But what are his aspirations in the next couple of years as he sort of matures into a full-fledged senior player?
2: Well, I think that's perhaps where this season has influenced him slightly because he's had those injuries. He admits himself it's been a bit up and down at times. And so he's trying to take it week by week, day by day. He wants to be back in that full and first team. I think, you know, he was at pain to acknowledge himself. It hadn't been a good season for the football club. But again, he was eager to stress how good the potential is at that club. The fact that there's so many of his teammates from that youth team and that youth cup who've come through with him that actually... Kit Simons is really breeding something good down there, and it's helping a lot of the young guys come through and so I think for him, the goal has to be establish himself in that first team, continue to grow in a league that I think will improve him physically um because he said himself you know when, when you're eighteen you think you're fit, and then you start training with the first team and realize you're not fit at all um, and so it's again it's about that growth and about continuing to develop his potential and I think truly establishing himself with Fulham and, and seeing if maybe, at a push, they can get into the playoffs and, and grow from there. Because I think that's realistically the only way they're going to go next year is if, if it's through that playoffs.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, one more thing, Christian. Obviously, uh, Gedeon Zalelum has his, uh, had his clearance uh, approved by FIFA so he could play for the United States. He made his debut last night or yesterday, whatever time it is in Australia as a substitute for Tab Ramos. I expect him to feature heavily in that team. But I think for American fans, the next question about Zalalem is what his Arsenal future might be. I, I, I tend to think, and, and this is just cursory observation, that he's still uh, another season away from the full senior side. But do you expect him to get a little bit more run, perhaps uh, in cup competitions and uh, and the like?
2: Well, that's the thing. Historically, Wenger has used the cup competitions as an opportunity to give these players uh first-team exposure. And I think it could very much be the same with with him because, again, he, from what I've seen of him, and I think we're all in a similar boat here in terms of seeing maybe highlight packages or what have you, his touch seems, I think, more than good enough. I think speed-wise he's there. It's just about maybe those little bits of thought processes and things, that, the little nuances you gain when you move up to that first-team. I, I don't think a loan move is good for him, though. I think, as you rightly say, he has to stay with the squad and be given brief exposure, a bit like Serge Gnabry, that kind of 10 minutes here, 15 minutes there, just to get him used to it. And then perhaps maybe even next season, or the yeah. season after that, I'm trying to say, <laughs> uh, Yeah, that's
0: I mean, when you loan him. He, he's not even 19 yet. He's 18 years old. He'll just turn 18 years this, this January. And I think loaning is difficult. I mean, I'm, I think Wenger has talked about this, but I think loaning is a difficult situation because... The, the 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 things that he needs to improve on are the things that he does that he's definitely going and he Say he goes down to a championship side he needs to be strong and he needs to be physically there and he's not there yet and, and so more than likely he's going to end up on the bench at a championship side who would prefer to have a sturdier element in midfield
2: exactly and i think as we saw with julian green this season when you're away from the club it can be, feel very lonely Um, and that can cause problems as well, because again, you know, in the case of Zolalem, I think he's had a different trajectory in terms of he's not just been thrown into the, the U.S. national team, senior team. There's not this expectation of him just to explode. I think it was a bit harsh on Julian Green this year just to throw him in like that. I think in truth, he could have been better served going to a Bundesliga 2 side. I think with with Zolo it's, it's, it is better to keep him around that Arsenal team because you can almost nurture him in a way that if he falls, you're all there to pick him up. And if he has issues, again, you can deal with it internally. Um, I think loaning out, in many ways, it can be the making of players. We, we do see that sometimes. People say all, all the greats were loaned at some point. But you also have to do it at the right time when the player's ready, when they've hit the ceiling that they're at. And I'm just not sure if he's hit that ceiling at Arsenal. Yeah, I think there's still more growth potential you can extract from him just remaining at the Emirates first before you look to, to loan him out to someone else. Uh,
0: Christian Hinez joining us, talking uh, Premier League, obviously some U.S. topics as well as we close out here. Christian, I could talk to you all day. I don't have the time, unfortunately. <laughs> I, I do appreciate uh, you jumping on short uh, short notice with us. Thank you very much. Make sure you go follow Christian on Twitter, K-H-E-N-E-A-G-E. Thank you, Christian. My pleasure, mate. Let's uh, take a break. When we come back, we'll open up the phone lines. Talk to you on a Tuesday episode of Soccer Morning here on WorldSoccerTalk.com. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. We're just about three weeks away from the Women's World Cup tournament that kicks off on June 6th and World Cup fever is starting to build. To stay on top of all action and to support your national team, be sure to download the new app entitled Women's World Cup Challenge. With the free app, you can get a schedule of the entire tournament, play a fantasy game to guess which teams will advance from group stages and then which teams move through the knockout rounds, create and join groups to compete against your friends for pride and prizes, Watch the Match Center to follow all of the games live while you're at work and read the latest news about all the teams. Developed by an Austin startup who are massive soccer fans, the app is available as a free download for Apple and Android devices in the app and play stores. Follow the Women's World Cup this summer and support the stars of the women's game by downloading Women's World Cup Challenge today. I'm Jason Davis, and I want to invite Soccer Morning listeners to join me this Friday for Columbus against Chicago. During the game, I'm going to be sharing my thoughts and opinions about the MLS action at Rabble.tv. It's a brand new television experience that gives fans the ability to talk and banter about the beautiful game. You'll get a chance to hear my opinions about Crew SC and the Fire, as well as post questions to me via the live conversations thread. If you have an iPhone, that's great. You can use the Rabble app to hear me. Or you can go directly to the website at Rabble.tv. So come on, Soccer Morning listeners. Mark your calendars for this Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern. And let's hang out together at Rabble.tv to talk Crew SC, Fire, and MLS. I look forward to seeing you there at Rabble.tv. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we go back on Soccer Morning on WorldSoccerTalk.com. Phone lines open. 646-832-3909. 646-832-3909. Memorize that number. How many, how many numbers do you have memorized anymore? I, I, memorize, I have my number memorized, but I don't know that I know anything else. They're all on my phone. If I lose my phone, I'm in big trouble. I know this is like a, a, a comics routine or something. I'm not doing comedy here. Six four six eight three two three nine zero nine. You should know that one by now. And if you call enough, you should have it saved. And It's been a little while since we handed out a shirt number. I wonder if we'll be able to do that today. I think uh, we got Washington on five. Uh, I know we've got uh, maybe Daniel Atlanta. He, does he have one? I have a list somewhere. It's not real deep. I did. I did start to collect these somewhere. Let me see if I can get my. My computer to respond. But I, if you call it enough and you're of, of a certain quality, you can earn yourself a, a soccer morning shirt number. Washington, number five. Rick and Philly, number 14. Eddie and Brooklyn, number seven. If I've handed out any since then to uh, the last one being Eddie and Brooklyn on my list, then I haven't written it down i apologize but they yeah, go ahead and call in. 646-832-3909 the u20 world cup the united states with their first warm-up match two one winners over australia what are ex- what are your expectations there what would be a success for the united states at this world cup i want them to win because i'm rooting for them just a wholly enclosed type of situation they're a united states men's soccer team i want them to win so that as a fan, I can revel in that victory. But if we pull out if we pull on the strings of the U-20s a little bit more, we get into the question of developing developing players and developing players who can go on to help the senior team, developing players who will get spotted by professional teams, who may jump into a senior team because of a performance here or get more attention on them because of that, which I are self-worth as soccer fans to that stuff. Emerson Hyman playing at Fulham. We want to see him in the senior team contributing to Fulham at the championship level, but we also want him to see him move on to the Premier League level. So when I'm asking Christian about about Emerson Hyman's future, it's not that I want him to leave Fulham necessarily. I have nothing against Fulham. If he's a good player for them, that's great. They developed him. It's fantastic. But I, at the same time, I kind of do want to see him in the Premier League. That would make me feel better about American players if Emerson Hyman goes from championship Fulham to some Premier League team. That has to be the right Premier League team, I guess. And I would worry about that if I wanted to get into the nitty gritty of it. But that's what we, that's where we are with this American soccer player process. I want to see these guys, particularly the ones. Who came up in the United States and learned their soccer here to have the opportunity to go and make a name for themselves in some of the top leagues in the world, and we can I can minimize the lack of American players in the Premier League all I want by saying, "Oh, it's just a trend, it's just a a, a lull. They'll come back around. It's a, there's a new generation coming. It's all these things are true, and yet it still bothers me. Still bothers me that there aren't that many Premier League players anymore." Rocking red, white, and blue on the uh, for the international level. Brad Guzan, Jeff Cameron. Who am I missing? Is that it? Is that the entire list right now? <laughs> What's the who's who else? What Americans are in the Premier League? Sebastian Letget, Let Let J, Let jet, lay jet, However you say his name, never broke broke in at West Ham. Now he's a LA Galaxy player. So that that one's done. I haven't, I, you know, I, I'm so, I, I'm so sort of over worrying about it. I mean, of course I do. Of course you do. But I'm so over worrying about it. I don't even check anymore. I don't even look at the Americans abroad like performances. Any, like I had to be told, and this isn't the Premier League. This is obviously Holland. But I had to be told that Aaron Johansson had, what, two goals and assist on the weekend? I had to. I, I had to be told that. I had to go. Fi- that, that had to be put right in front of me. I didn't go searching for it. I'm not doing that anymore. Now maybe that's partly because there's enough happening in MLS. I don't have the time for it. But it's also because I'm just sort of tired of worrying about Americans playing abroad, and worrying about what that means for American soccer, and trying to 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 analyze. Oh, there's. There's less Americans in Europe these days. That that probably means something. Does it? I I guess it does. But when you have American players coming back to the United States and playing in in MLS and choosing to do so, that's a good thing too. It's a different kind of good thing. But it is. And again, all of this is happening under Jurgen Klinsmann's watch. watch, A man who makes no bones that he would prefer American players to be plying their trade in Europe. And yet here we are with American players returning to MLS at a pretty rapid clip. I don't know. six four six eight three two three nine zero nine. Take your calls until about 10 after the hour if you want to jump in on any of this stuff today. Certainly Premier League's shaking out. Chelsea's the winner. Manchester City is going to finish in second. Manchester United and Arsenal fight it out for fourth. We've got two teams relegated, and we'll find out who that third team is in the final round of the season. And then Steven Gerrard can uh, make his way to LA and sunbathe for a week or two. I don't know how long is he going to. How long is he going to rest up? Let's go to Robert in LA. What's up? Hey, good morning, Jason. Good morning, friend.
1: Hey, I wanted to call. I'm calling uh, about LAFC's uh, stadium announcement yesterday.
0: Yeah. Okay. Go ahead.
1: And I just want to give you uh, the how the, the local coverage came, and it was very uh, hilarious because uh, you know how uh, LA has football club, they have to very much like describe. They meant, they meant soccer, <laughs> and it was just funny watching the reporters. So they're like like. They, uh,
0: so, so, describe it. so they're like, uh, uh, Los uh, L.A. football club announces a stadium plan today, but this is actually a soccer team, everybody. It's not a football team. It's a soccer team. We don't have football in L.A. Pretty much.
1: <laughs> Pretty much. There is like football with your foot instead of football with your hand.
0: <laughs> no, they didn't say that. And, they didn't say that, Robert. So that I, know, I am, I am <laughs>
1: serious. I am serious.
0: <laughs> Man,
1: I, I am serious. They did that, I, and they – and they literally, they literally did that and they were uh, interviewing, uh, Magic Johnson. And I, I saw this live. And it was just like, you know, the local reporter they sent over. And they asked him about, uh, LAFC. And then they just kept asking about the, the random questions about, you know, uh, the Lakers and like the Clippers and, uh, LA teams and all the other teams. But they, they brought it back. And they, they always said like, so, how long have you been a soccer fan? Which is very h- hilarious. What and it, I don't know if this is the same way that NYFC had to deal with
0: uh, in, in you York, know, the local media. That's a good question. We could ask some people up in NYC what the uh, how the local media handled all of that, uh, especially the announcement of the team, and again that that element that it's football of the other kind, not not American football. Um, I don't I don't know I'm sh- I that's surprise that's fun I, I I think that the uh, the lack of an NFL team is like it's confusing every that's why they feel the need to do it right because there are enough rumors about NFL coming back to LA that I imagine that the reporters are just they're really they want to be really careful about anybody getting excited about professional American football coming back to the city so they're overcompensating I guess that's what it is right yeah that's
1: how it was that's how the the local press was, you know, with Don Garber and uh, you know Mia Hamm and Matthew Johnson were there. Right. But I just wanted to call you and give you that,
0: Well, Robert. And can I ask you one more question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then I'm going to ask you a question. Go ahead.
1: Oh, no wait. Go ahead. Were you going to ask me a question?
0: Are you a Are you a Galaxy fan? I forget.
1: Yes, I am. Okay. So, and I will remain a Galaxy right, fan right. even though the the actual location where this New Salmon is only like. A ten minute walk,
0: but okay. I am still gonna remain. Okay, uh, I, I, I'm not. am I'm, I'm, I'm not asking you about jumping ship. What I'm gonna ask you is, and and I know that as a Galaxy fan, you may have some bias here. I hope that you can put that to the side. But I'm, you know, in terms of what how LAFC has been, and I hate this word, but I'm gonna say it, positioning themselves, sort of getting themselves out there. I mean, it's it's maybe they had to wait on the stadium announcement to real to really get themselves ready to go and ramped up. But when you see what they do on Twitter, when you see their website, when you see some of the stuff that they may or may not be doing in LA, are you? Do you does any of it make sense to you? Do you think they're doing a good job?
1: Um, you know the whole thing with the whole like the Twitter thing—it's very entertaining. I find it entertaining, but I'm not—I'm not, I'm not going to feel like what's the word here? I'm uh, jealous, or that's the word, or or worried.
0: Okay, all right, that's fair enough. I think there's plenty of room. I imagine that you guys as Galaxy yeah. fans have talked about this. There's got to be plenty of room. Uh,
1: I, I believe there is, and maybe maybe the good thing, I mean, I, w- I want more soccer fans here in Los Angeles, but hopefully I think it could be a good thing.
0: Okay, and I think that, uh, you know, I think the rivalry matches between those two sides might actually have some heat to them as opposed... Well, I mean, look, Chivas USA and LA didn't like each other necessarily on the field, but that never really seemed to to be... Something the fans latched onto. I mean, did you ever feel as though your biggest rival was Chivas? It was always San Jose, right?
1: No, I always looked at it as uh, it was. Oh, how 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 much how many are going to win for? And even though it was like, technically it was an away game, it was still a home game for us.
0: Right. Right, and more. And we're serious fans, serious, yeah. so yeah. Yeah. All right, appreciate the phone call, Robert.
1: Hey, right, wait, can I ask you one more question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, real fast, uh my, my local Fox affiliate, they're doing uh they're promoting the Women's World Cup and like they're gonna do like a weekly or a daily show uh after the matches. And I just want to know if if anyone else's local Fox affiliate is gonna do that.
0: So is this the LA have produced Have you heard about that? No, I haven't. This is LA produced for LA fans. Yes. Interesting. It's like
1: the local LA Fox affiliate. Fox Eleven affiliate I, I is have... gonna I have not. they ha- have like Kobe Jones and.
0: A- okay, well, they they obviously yeah, have, have some. Uh, yeah. They have some talent on hand who can help them with that. I I haven't heard of anything else anywhere else. No. Okay. All,
1: all right. right. Well. All right. So that's what I wanted to ask for.
0: Uh- Appreciate it. Anyway. Uh, thanks for
1: taking my call,
0: Jason. All right, Robert in L.A. Good stuff there. I mean, look, if if L.A. if the L.A. Fox affiliate's going to put that effort into covering the Women's World Cup, that's excellent news. As I said, though. They've got they've got the talent on hand. I mean, they can pretty much uh, – there's there's a bunch of ex-American internationals and, and famous people who live in – I mean, if you wanted to get uh, Mia Hamm in the building to, to analyze the, the Women's World Cup, I'm sure you could do that if you're the LA Fox affiliate. I don't think that's possible in most cities. Uh, maybe a couple other places around the country where you could get one or two people in the building. But that's that's an awfully big commitment. That's good. That's, it's a good sign. For the Women's World Cup. I, I locally produce stuff. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen that before. Usually just get the national stuff uh, as, a, as produced by, the, you know, the flagship, uh, the flagship company, Fox, in this case, ESPN in the past. Yeah. Speaking of LAFC, Henry Wynn, managing partner of the club, described his planned facility, well, their planned facility as an intimate, really tight urban sound box stadium. We want it to be one of the cathedrals of soccer in this country and around the world. The great opportunity here is that LA is the world city, and this is the monument to the world's game here. Now, again, I want to know how Galaxy fans feel about this. Like, how how does this... LAFC may not be doing everything perfectly, but they are certainly going to make a splash. And if they get this stadium built on a decent timeline, and the target is 2018, that means they push back their debut in a, a year. But better to do that than to have to play in a in a stadium that, that doesn't work for them uh, for a year. But does this immediately, because of the splash they're going to make, does this immediately make the Galaxy less cool? I'm not saying L.A. is Galaxy mad. I don't think that's the case. But they have a solid fan base. They have some history. They obviously have ties to communities around Los Angeles. So if the if LAFC comes in, and again, if they, I said this on the Best Soccer Show the other night, if they kill it with the gear, that's a major part of getting attention and, and buzz in LA. They kill it with that stuff. If they get really good-looking stuff that people can wear around the city, does that automatically make the Galaxy something of second fiddle? Is that just the way things have to work when you have an expansion team? I mean, we, what we're seeing in New York is a little, I think it's a little different. For one thing, the Red Bulls have an amazing building of their own, and NYCFC is playing in a baseball stadium. Just a terrible situation for a soccer team with no real prospects. I mean, I think they're doing what they can, and I'm glad that people are showing up at Yankee Stadium to watch soccer. But it's it's obviously not a good a good situation. Whereas in LA, when LFC LAFC arrives on the scene with an actual team playing games. In three years time, it's going to be about that venue, which is going to make StubHub Center look like a jalopy in comparison. If Again, if they get everything done exactly to the plan they want. I don't know. That's why I think the L.A. battle is going to be a little bit more fascinating than the New York battle, at least until NYCFC Figures out where they're going to play for the next 30 years. Until we see actual movement on a stadium situation there, and you can argue that the two clubs are on equal footing, whatever the resources uh, NYCFC has at their disposal, as long as they're not playing in a soccer specific venue, they are behind Red Bull New York. That doesn't look like it's going to be how things will start in LA. In LA, they've put the stadium first, they've got that deal. Mostly done. There's some elements to it. But they made an announcement. They're going to push local authorities to get things done. Boxes checked that they need to check. And then when they get here, when they get into MLS, they won't be good because no expansion team is that good except for the Sounders and Chicago Fire. But they will have attention. and They will have a beautiful new stadium. And they will get people out there. I have no doubt about that. No draw. Washington on Twitter, he's uh, an NYCFC fan. Since City Football Group is a global soccer brand, there was no need for the local media to specify that NYCFC was soccer. Well, again, I think, I'm sure that's the case, Washington, but the other element is there's already two American football teams who call themselves New York. They don't play in New York, but they call themselves New York, and they play just across the river. In L.A., they have no American professional football team. So anytime somebody brings that up, I think ears probably perk up. They go, oh, football's coming to L.A.? Oh, not that kind of football. The other kind of football. The football you play with your foot, not with your hands. <laughs> oh, I'm getting a kick out of that. glad Robert called in today. Thank you very much for listening to Soccer Morning here on WorldSoccerTalk.com. Seems like this is a good time to wrap up a Tuesday edition of the program. Christian Hanez joined us. He was excellent talking Premier League, player development, U.S. soccer. We had a lot of different, uh, we had a lot of different marks there. I think they were all very good. Go follow him on Twitter, K H E N E A G E. His work appears in many, many different places. He covers MLS as well as the Premier League, and he does it all from beautiful England. One of my favorite guests. When his phone line works, when his phone line is of high quality, he's one of my favorite guests, and today it was of high quality or reasonable quality. Robert on Twitter, don't worry about the stuff up center the Chargers and Raiders will move there. Well, they're, they've they got an alien spaceship that we've seen renderings of. That they... Uh, that they might build in Carson. <laughs> I don't know how that's going to work. No idea how it's going to work. All right. Go to uh, backheel.com store. Buy yourself a soccer morning mug and a soccer morning t-shirt. Well, soccer morning t-shirts at 3-0-FC.com. Other cool t-shirts at backheel.com store, including this one that says baller and has our good friend Chuck Blazer on it. Chuck Blazer. FBI informant Chuck Blazer. Apparently, that doesn't mean that Sepp won't. Sepa Sepp is going to be able to come to the United States, or says he is coming to the United States next year. So we have that to look forward to. Uh, thank you again for listening, guys. We'll be back tomorrow with another big episode of the program. Join us on SiriusXMFC FC if you happen to have it. See ya.